Last week, Diane from OmniChain, she joined us once again on the show, but this time to share with us her journey to success, how she worked in supply chain all across the world, and how she is a leader who empowers others to take her place. We have had some amazing feedback on this one, so you're not going to want to miss it. Go and check it out under episode 118, wherever you listen to the Let's Talk Supply Chain podcast or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. I want to tell you about Tive. They've come up with the easiest way for shippers and 3PLs to have fast, clear visibility data. Seriously, you have to check this out. Tive's intuitive interface and low-cost trackers provide comprehensive supply chain awareness, reduce freight claims, and improve customer experiences. These are single-use trackers. Let me say that again. Single-use trackers amazing. Check them out at tive.co, that's T-I-V-E dot C-O, and get 10% discount on your first order when you mention that you heard about this on Let's Talk Supply Chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This last week has been a wild and crazy week for everyone, and we just hope that the community is staying well, staying safe, but more importantly, not staying silent. On that note, we do have another review for the show, and this one comes all the way from South Africa, Miss Finnegan, thank you so much for writing us a review, giving us five stars, and this is what she has to say. Really love listening to Sarah and her line of questioning for the guests. She is leading the pack on driving the conversation from a woman's perspective and championing other women thought leaders. Thank you so much. And remember, you can be featured on an upcoming episode if you go into Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. This week on the show, Greg and Scott from Supply Chain Now are back for Super Trends number four. And it is a great topic to end off on. But don't worry, this isn't the last of the series because we have a Twitter chat coming up. Yes, that's our wrap party. It's coming up on June 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern. We will be live tweeting and live streaming on the supply chain now twitter and we will be having the main twitter discussion on the let's talk supply chain twitter page as well we're going to be talking all about the trends we discussed in all four episodes so please please join us we would love to have you and we can't wait to hear what you guys are saying about the super trends plus what your thoughts are on all the topics we discussed so before we dive into super trend number four let's get to the question of the week so the question of the week how can we do better in supply chain this question comes out of a conversation that I had with the team at Mercado they're always asking this question and I love it we did a panel discussion on this a couple of weeks ago if you missed it go and check it out it is on our let's talk supply chain uh, LinkedIn page we also have it on our YouTube channel the SC supply chain TV 
you can find that under our videos. So Brian Holbrook, he says, greater emphasis on total value delivery versus savings metrics. Our function and the strategies we lead are capable of impacting a business in broad range of critical areas. John from Uptessa, move away from spreadsheets to manage your supply chain. It is time to embrace digital tools in order to effectively move forward. We also have a panel discussion with them coming up on June 16th as well. You're not going to want to miss that. Chris Jolly, And he has a new podcast out, so go and check that out. He says, collaboration and communication, in my opinion, are the two pieces that need the most improvement. From a freight brokerage standpoint, you must collaborate with others to make sure your customer's freight is handled properly. Chris, you are talking, speaking my language. Danielle. Do you know your suppliers beyond the tier one and tier two ones? If not, that's a good place to start. Chris Ruddick, establish open industry standards that streamline communication between business partners. Adam Robinson over at Turvo, focus on collaboration. Again, this word comes up, I know. And how technology can aid in bringing your network together using a platform to transact together and get things done. John Harbour, effective open two-way communication is at the heart of any strong business relationship. Jonathan M. Townsley, wow, very good areas to focus on in terms of improvement. My favorite is breaking down those silos and working to create a more collaborative structure across all functions of the enterprise where supply chain is the glue that gets them all to connect and stick together. Adebayo, says, I believe communication is never too much. It's probably the most important skill that one can never completely learn. And this is so true. It's something that we're going to be talking about in a project that we have coming up. Nicole Mitchell, be more intentional intentional about what we do. Sometimes we get stuck in the rut of getting the job done. Catherine, adding to all the great ideas in this thread, the workers should get more into focus. When looking at attrition rates in logistics, it is obvious that there is something wrong with the system. Just checking on some more comments on this. One last one, Brandy. She says, understanding our client needs through clear demand planning enables us to provide the services and materials needed at the right time and the right place. Thank you so much to everybody who commented and was part of the conversation on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. Super important. We do this every single Wednesday morning and we have some really great conversations. So make sure that you check that out and uh, get part of the, get in on the conversation every single Wednesday morning on Let's Talk Supply Chain, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram page. So now let's dive into the topic of today, which is startup mentality and what innovation means to supply chain and business in general. So welcome to the show, Scott and Greg. Hey, good good morning. Always great to be with you. Yeah, I'm super excited. We are at the tail end of the series. We are talking about super trend number four. You know, I can't believe that we're we're at super trend number four already. I have really enjoyed the collaboration with you guys and the team at Supply Chain Now. Plus, I have had some great feedback from the community wanting to see more collabs from us. So I'm sure we will get into strategy sessions and figure out where we go from here. What do you guys think? Think about that. I think whenever whenever the word collaboration is used, I always think of you. So 
Uh, I'm glad we've been able to do this. Uh, look, I feel like we've surfaced a lot of really, really important uh, issues in supply chain. And I, I'm just glad to, this has real, been a really unique vehicle, kind of sharing it back and forth across our, our platforms. Um, and I'm glad we've been able to bring it to the supply chain community this way. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about uh, reaching all the different audiences out there, right? And bring the folks together. Hopefully, folks from this series have heard um, maybe a couple of different takes on some topics that, of course, have been around forever, these super trend topics. So uh, looking forward to kind of keeping things uh, fresh and frank, and we'll see where today's super trend number four goes. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, Scott. You know, different perspectives and coming at it from different viewpoints. I mean, I could get a little squirrely because I come from Canada, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I guess we should plug our upcoming Twitter chat because we are actually going to wind this series down with a Twitter chat. We were just talking about this. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be in June and we will be promoting it heavily so that you can follow the hashtag SC Super Trends. And uh, we might be doing a live stream too. So stay tuned for that. We might be live tweeting and live streaming, not only with ourselves, but some of the panelists that we're thinking of um, participating. So we can't wait for that. We will share details once we have more. So today we are tackling the hot topic of startup mentality. From enterprise to startups, how do we keep the innovation and growth Great ideas flowing in an organization. Well, we're going to talk about that. So why don't we get started? So coming out of COVID, organizations will be reshuffling. I don't know if you've seen some of my comments across LinkedIn, but I'm talking about reshuffling everything, reshuffling talent, reshuffling organizations as a whole, reshuffling tech, um, reshuffling process. Um, to the new normal that we're going to be going into or we're already in in the working environment. What is that going to look like? Plus, we have the added pressure to consider how we can be more sustainable, keeping on top of tech trends, becoming more diverse. I mean, <laughs> there is so much I think my head is going to explode and I'm not leading a major organization. <laughs> so how do organizations stay innovative and agile with all of these in mind while you know, while amazing, all of these components are amazing and must-haves, but they're looming over leaders everywhere. So, Greg, I want to start with you. How do we stay up to date? How do we stay innovative? What does that mean in the new normal that we're that we're facing? You know, I think that this this condition, this pandemic and seismic societal disruption, has has been a, to quote the old phrase. Necessity is the mother of invention and the companies that do survive this and all won't, but the companies that do survive this will have learned a lesson on how to create um, a sustainable enterprise. And I mean that not necessarily in an environmental fashion, but a sustainable enterprise in terms of a, a continual, continually viable enterprise in the face of disruption. And so many of them are conjoining that with actual sustainability and fair trade and ethical uh, practice. And, and what they've recognized is that diversity is a big, big part of that diversity from a, from an ethnic agenda, a lifestyle choice and, um, and regional standpoint, because now we talk every day with people all over the world. Yeah. We right? do. I mean, 
I, I don't know if, how many people knew the word supply chain before this, but it was more than knew the word Zoom as as a communication device before this. And now Zoom and supply chain are on everyone's mind. So yep. we've already started to see that that transition. And what we've also seen that is encouraging is in companies large and small, they're attacking they're attacking the issues of this seismic societal disruption today for survival. But the really, really strong ones and the ones that I feel like will come out of this most successful are the ones who have already built a tiger team to attack those issues that will be coming in the new normal. And, you know, they're starting with simple things like what does it mean to come back to work? Yes. Right. Um, who will come back to work? Uh, you know, I'm, as you all know, I'm on the board or advisory board of a number of companies, and we are having that discussion constantly about how do we optimize, take advantage of this opportunity to optimize the workforce and optimize processes, as you said, to, to employ technology and automation and robotics and whatever those things are that, that, empower the company and empower the people of the company to be better when all of this comes back. There's so much more I could say, but I feel like I ought to pause and let you all get in there and, and say something. But look, this is, this is a um, pivotal moment on the face of the earth, right? We were all, we were all quarantined to our homes at almost exactly the same time. Society essentially stopped around the world, at least society as we know it. And, that has never happened and I predict never will happen again. And it is it has been a reflective moment for people and for companies globally. Absolutely. I couldn't have said that better myself. Scott, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Greg just shared there. Uh, but two things in particular come to mind. So first up, as we've been covering for weeks now, these challenging times, just as Greg suggested, have been jet fuel in many cases for innovation. Uh, for especially for innovative leaders and organizations that seize the moment, seize the day, and and make it happen. Right? It's all about the art of the possible, but but from a real practical practical standpoint, um, you know, those organizations willing to challenge old norms and not listen to that that phrase. But we can't do that, right? But but this is how it's always been done. You know, there's there there is still a very big crowd that in in every organization that 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 tout that mantra that that really stifles innovation and, and stifles uh, new ways, new solutions, new ideas, you name it. Yes, you can. Where there's a will and profitability, there's absolutely a way. The profitability mm-hmm. for anything, sustainability, diversity, you name it. That's how we can make those gains, lock them in and build on top of them and really get everybody to the table, right? There's something in it for everybody. Secondly, and, and what I think we'll see and what I think will help organizations be more innovative, be more agile, which is which was back to the original question. Yep. You guessed it, more planning, right? If if we think yeah. we've been planning as an industry to date, just wait. Just wait. Because once we get into the aftermath as the as Gartner's talking about, you know, we're going to find new ways of leveraging all this data. That, you know, the big data has been around for decades. We're going to use it differently. And companies that have been mailing it in, meaning planning like it's 1989, that's going to change. Especially, you know, um, especially if you want to be innovative and, and be agile and be efficient and be best prepared for what's around the corner. I think the what if scenario planning, 
uh, is, is going to be ramped up. I think we're going to see companies conduct, you know, in the next uh, companies are already doing this, but we're going to see a lot more of this in the next few weeks as um, all organizations, uh, some are, you know, some have been sidelined as we all know, you know, some, some groups have been working, you know, especially supply chain have been working through this pandemic, keeping countries and, and their populations moving forward. But a lot of services business, a lot of businesses that, that, that remote just does not work have been sidelined. As the all, as everyone gets back to the table and gets back into this new normal, uh, we're going to see very frank, top-to-bottom assessments of what went wrong, make those adjustments, and be better prepared, not just for the next unexpected disaster. That's part of supply chain. That's going to happen. But We are problem solvers. Right. I mean, that's right. That's what we are in, in supply chain. But the exciting thing and the, and the silver lining all of this is companies are going to be better prepared to be more innovative in a very practical, non-lip service way. One last point. Let me give you an example, rather. 3M, right? And 3M, look, take them at, take their news cycles, the, the politics side out of the equation. Look at 3M, the business right now. Their learnings that they had out of SARS, the, the SARS outbreak in, in 2003, where they invested in extra capacity t- so they could surge uh, without disrupting, you know, surge very successfully. Uh, they also made some operational changes at the beginning of this year. All of that allowed them to reduce production cycle times by 70% and effectively by tapping into those improvements that came out of that 2003 disaster. They they doubled their output of N95 respirators, which they'll do in 2020. So wow. we're going to see that across, I, I think, I believe, the companies that get it and are really serious about learning from what these last globally six or seven months ha- have meant. And I think that's a rough time frame, certainly here in the States, uh, several months at least. The companies that are serious and, and serious about changing what uh, this next phase looks like are going to get serious about assessing their own gaps and their, their shortcomings and you know how to prevent a lot of that from happening. I absolutely agree. And I think just for our younger audience out there, when Scott referenced 1989, he actually meant, you know, 2002. If people are still in 2002, they might have some issues. I love that because we're, you know, we're kids of the 80s. So I pick on the 80s a lot because that's my era. I, I really grew up in, but that's a great point. I need, I need to update that, huh? Well, well, I mean, you, 19, 1989, I mean, that's like 31 years ago. <laughs> you know, um, Sarah, I, I I have to say, it's good to see Scott. First of all, it's good to see Scott on the question answering side, because I think people, they get to hear Scott ask the questions and, and you know, and, and throw in some color commentary, but they don't frequently get to hear what Scott Luton's supply chain expert really thinks at great depth. And I got to tell you, that was great for me to hear, honestly. And I, I'm glad that Scott got the opportunity to do that. You're too kind. I think, you know, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) I think think one of the other things that's important um, about what, what you said, Scott is 3M. And I don't think we think of 3M as a classically innovative, a, you know, we're talking about enterprises with a startup mindset. 3M literally has people who are paid to kick their feet up on the window ledge and ideate and think of things that could solve problems. 
a good example. I mean, this happened way back, even before 1989. Sarah. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> things like Velcro were invented because one of those thinkers was walking through a field with his granddaughter and um, and a thistle got caught on his sock and he figured out how that that mechanism could be used to stick things together. And that is a one of the best examples of a huge company with a startup spirit. The rest, I think, struggle to do that. And they sometimes they sometimes sell themselves into this myth that they're disruptive. But and we've talked about this before in one of the earlier episodes, Sarah. One of the things that we yeah. recognize is that if you are an established company, you cannot be disruptive. You yeah. are to be disrupted. Um, it's impossible, I, I would argue, impossible to get out of that mindset without having an entity that has complete autonomy to decision-making and ideation and visioneering to be able to create those. Um, and, you know, we work with a group, we've just become members of a group called Point A, and the way that that group works is to take these tiny little startups and these massive, massive companies and put them together to to say, you know, for someone like Georgia Pacific, let's say, to say we have this business problem and another company, a small company like Ships or Verison to say, we can create a solution to that and create a dynamism between those companies that enables these smaller, more agile, disruptive companies to impart that knowledge and those solutions to those big uh, behemoths in, in industry. That's a great way to accomplish what we're talking about. Yeah, and it's a great point. It leads into some of the the stuff that I wanted to bring up. I mean, when you talk about having, um, when we talk about reshuffling of talent, and we talked about this in the last episode, we're looking at reshuffling of, um, um, you know, even job roles, right? So you're talking about 3M having people in place to be able to come up with innovation ideas keep that flowing and that's what their job is all about and i think moving forward organizations can't look at that as a cost center but as a profit center because as the ideas flow and as the ideas grow that's going to be able to um, bring the company into a new era find new revenue models for the company and keep them top of mind and in that innovative spirit. So I think that that's a really great point. The other point that we talked about, and I think, Greg, you just mentioned this, is, and it's a conversation that I had with three CPOs a few days ago on um, LinkedIn as well, is empowering those in positions to make decisions. I think too many times there's too much bureaucracy in an organization and it takes too much time to make a decision and be agile. And I think this is really showing us how much more we need to be agile and how much we need to empower those that are working for us in those positions to make the decisions. I mean, you pay these people in these positions and yet you don't really allow them to, to make those decisions. And that to me in itself is a small step towards innovation. Yeah. Hey, if I could, two quick things, because you shared a lot of good stuff there. And Sarah, part of it is a communication challenge, right? We've got to streamline communications. You know, Part of the big changes that 3M made was, was take, taking different functional areas of their business and, and streamlining how decisions were made and some of that communication. And then you know, secondly, 
I saw a great, I've been on, I've been living on YouTube here during these quarantine. It, it's really fascinating. Um, and one of the things I, I, I looked at recently was the uh, Columbia disaster, right? From, uh, I want to say about, uh, I think it was 2008, I believe. Anyway, um, one of the key decisions and mistakes made, really a lack of decision, um, a tile had hit, long story short, a tile at launch had hit the wing of the shuttle. Uh, and as, as a shuttle went, was uh, in space, right? Because it made it into orbit. Um, a, all, a lot of the engineers, uh, again, long story short, a lot of the engineers wanted NASA to to uh, conduct a spacewalk so they could actually get photographic uh, uh, insights on the damage and assess the risk. Well, unfortunately, and it cost the lives of these brave astronauts, it stopped at a certain level. And that that. Uh, officer not only delayed the decision, but ultimately did not allow them to use the precious time that's part of any space mission to assess that uh, how big of a of a um, of a of damage that was and how big the risk was. Well, what that led to, which we all know, is Columbia breaking apart upon reentry and costing lives of of every single one. those astronauts. Unfortunately, never even had a chance because. Right of that bad decision not only being delayed, but ultimately the wrong decision being made. And there are lessons learned in tragedies like that, just like in in the challenging times we're seeing, that you can apply in any, any business. Well, and I also want to wanted to say that, you know, I think that this has also opened us up to a lot of new opportunities and a lot of different ways of, of thinking about things. So before we get to the next the next one, I just want to talk about not only empowering the employees, like I said before, but also looking at different ways of engaging with your employees for new ideas and innovation. And I think LinkedIn is a really good place to do that. I feel like organizations and leaders of organizations don't use that platform um, as well as they possibly could. And if they are allowing their employees to become th thought leaders in their own right, let's say on LinkedIn, for example, and the leaders go on and they're checking, they're, they're um, engaging with their team members on LinkedIn outside of the business. Think about the ideas that, that might be sparked just in those conversations. So taking it out of the boardroom, taking it out of the workplace. I mean, everybody has run to Zoom. Everybody has run to LinkedIn um, from a business perspective to get the engagement, to talk to each other. And I think that there's a really, really good opportunity here for us to spark ideas and innovation through that format. Yep. So go and, you know, talk to your employees on LinkedIn, engage with them, show your authenticity through reactions, through your comments to their posts, see what they're talking about and how they see things. And that can be brought into the workplace and the, and the boardroom to really spark innovation and creativity. And, and if, when you get all that feedback and you get those ideas and you get those insights as a leader, you better do something with it. You yeah. better do something with it, you know, otherwise you're going to stop getting it. Yeah. Um, exactly. All right. So I think now, uh, Greg and Sarah, we're, we're going to pivot a little bit unless y'all any final thoughts before we kind of move over to some other. Okay. Good to go. All right. So of course we've all heard and we speak about branding. Of course we're big believers in it, but, um, 
more and more organizations are, you know, if, if the eighties were maybe the heyday of branding, I don't know. I'm just going to keep, keep going on that path. You know, branding is really important organizations these days. So, so question and, and Sarah, I'm going to pose this to you first is can a company rebrand its way to a new fresh approach? So that is a tough one. Um, I think we've seen various different organization do this um, and try it. I think that if they are going to rebrand, I think it's it's a great approach. However, it needs to be backed with action. So you can change the name, you can change the brand colors, but I've always been a firm believer in action speak louder than words. So if you're going to do that, um, if you're going to talk about the changes that have been made, uh, not only from a branding perspective, I really think that we need to ch- we need to show the changes that have happened within the organization from the leadership level. What does this mean to the organization? Why d- did we rebrand just to rebrand? Did we rebrand to incorporate some colors that might correlate to sustainability, like a green, um, which I've seen before? You know, and it's not just about colors and a name. It's about what's happening within your organization. So by doing that, I think that it's great to rebrand. But again, we need to show what's happening internally, how the change is being made from the top down and from the bottom up, how the internal stakeholders are um, being a part of that change, what that means to them, and what does it mean to the customers as well? Not just a name change, not just a color change. What does it mean to everybody involved and why does it matter? Good stuff there. Um, So, you know, Sarah and Greg, when we think of new, fresh approaches, uh, oftentimes, or one of the things that comes to my mind is that startup uh, culture, right? And and, yeah. and um, the lean startup. I don't know if y'all have ever checked that book out. It came out in the mid two thousands, I believe, uh, or, or no, two thousand eleven. I think is the date that, that was published. Eric Reese, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of companies and, and established um, enterprises that have really tried to to adopt that that startup mindset, and and a lot of it predated that book. So um, I want to be, look, I'm going to be real cliche here, but I think there's a lesson to be learned and that's why cliches exist. But, you know, Apple comes to mind and there was an anecdote that stood out, um, I think about 12 years ago now from, from a little discussion I gave. And I don't know if it's true or not. It doesn't matter. I like the lesson that's learned here. So Steve Jobs, when he came back to Apple, one of the first things he did was get rid of their, their, walk of fame where it celebrated all their previous accomplishments, right? And took all those things, boxed, boxed them up and got them out of the office where they were. So again, it doesn't matter if that's truthful or not. I believe it is based on what I read uh, 12 years ago. <laughs> but the story to be learned there is, you know, it's not what you've done that's gotten you here that's going to move you forward. You got you got to let go of that stuff, right? Because the uh, there's a reason why typewriters and Rolodexes and VCRs and beepers, answering machines, all those things are irrelevant. And then the companies that clung to making those things, unfortunately, those are irrelevant too. So um, you know, that's part of what when I hear of the startup mindset and a, and a brave new fresh approach. That's a lot of what that comes to mind for me. One other example that. Di- and I'm slow. I'm uh, I'm the last one to the party and and the slowest one here in this conversation. But Domino's, right? We see 
10 Domino's commercials a day, I bet. And look, I'm not the biggest fan of their pizza, um, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they, if you think about what they're doing and they've really embraced this startup mindset, think of how um, they're offering different ways of getting a pizza, geofencing. So if you're in a park, whenever we can get back out and sunbathe, you can get a pizza delivered where you are. And I think a large organization like that, it's not clinging to that tried and true, you know, if you're going to order pizza, if you want us to deliver it, it better be how we want to deliver it. And they're, they're busting through all of those traditional ways of corporate thinking and really focusing on how consumers want their service to be delivered. That's, to me, that's a startup thinking. That's start, a startup mindset. So, um, Greg, I know you got, you certainly... Well, and before, and, Greg, yeah, go ahead. Sarah. Greg, let me just jump go, in Sarah, there. Go. Because I, I think um, I want to just echo what Greg said earlier. It is so great to hear Scott's point of view and not asking the questions because <laughs> those examples are spot on. Because, yeah. you know, Domino's, I'm going to tell you, they didn't do a rebrand. So instead of pouring money into a rebrand and recoloring and, you know, a big launch and launch parties and all that kind of stuff, which I think is a little bit more traditional thinking, they launched the, the investment from that into um, customer facing issues, challenges, solving that, pivoting on that, the geomapping like you talked about. I mean, it's incredible. I think that's a really good that's a really good point on on Domino's because they didn't do that they didn't do a rebrand as such they did a reculture right and exactly. I think that's that's the truly valuable and the truly um, on point startup mentality the first thing when you have a startup is you define the culture of your company you either do it intentionally or unintentionally, you do it with action or inaction, but the culture of your company is defined and it is defined unequivocally, unquestionably, and only ever at the very, very top of the company. The, the number one top leader of the company will define the culture of the company. It's impossible for them not to, and it will be either because of that person's intention or that person's inaction. Yes. And that's one thing that I think companies have to recognize. Likewise, you have to do the same with branding. I like to think of branding um, and effective branding as the difference between image, which is what people think you are, and identity, which is what you actually are. Yes. Image, image is a mask. Identity mm -hmm. is a self, right? It is yourself. And I think we see that more and more and Scott and I, and I'm sure you Sarah see this all the time because we interview the people from the companies. We interview the influence influential people, the people who have the product vision or the mm -hmm. company vision or are in control of the day to day of that company. And we get to see how important a person and, and how important a group of people and how important a culture within a company is to that brand. Yes. And you can't sustain any level of branding in a company if it's not real to who you are as a culture and an identity within that company.
So that that to me is the first thing that defines startup mentality. The other is exactly the description that Scott you defined with Domino's. I too am not a fan at all, though I'm a huge Detroit pizza fan. I think there are some great Detroit pizza places. Um, I'm not a fan of Domino's pizza, and I would argue, even though my children would we love you, Domino's, we love you. My we children, I don't. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to, but. <laughs> My children who would refute me on this say it is, in fact, better than it used to be. I would argue that it's not. It's better marketed. And but even aside from that, the identity and the culture of the company, those little cars that keep it hot, filling potholes that cause trouble during your delivery, all of those innovations that they have created are amazing. And they are an example of a change of culture in the company. The the. Um, presentation of the fellow who can create as a world, uh, literally a Guinness world record in box construction, right? All the way to the the store manager um, who, you know, she was going out and giving apologies to to customers who had had an unsatisfactory experience, started that whole trend. One store manager started that whole trend in, in the company. And that's exactly, Sarah, what you're going to is give the authority to the people on the front line and let her create, uh, you know, a, a process in the company that is sustained. So I think you have to think about it from, from a culture standpoint for branding to be really, really effective. Look, this isn't Mad Men, right? People don't think it's cool to smoke Winston cigarettes because the Marlboro cigarettes, I don't even smoke, so I'm terrible. (laughs) Marlboro cigarettes because the Marlboro man looks cool. They don't do that anymore. Not anymore. You know, consumers are in charge and understand their identity. They don't need it formed by another company. They don't need it formed by, you know, as, as the Rolling Stones said, you know, um, oh my God, I totally forgot the the quote, but he can't be a man because he doesn't smoke the same cigarettes as me, right? And his shirts aren't as white as mine, right? You 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 don't you don't have your identity formed by companies anymore. People have a very clear idea of who they are, and they want those brands to be a reflection of who they are, not a definition. I thought you were going to say. You can't always have what you want or be the burden or <laughs> can't something. always get what you want. Yes, that's all right. That's all right. Hey, if I can real quick, because I know we need to move forward, uh, but we're talking innovation. And, you know, one of the things that the three of us, I know uh, all we that brings us together is our disdain for anything lip service. And, you know, with this, with, with the, the burgeoning uh, of innovation centers, quote, unquote, air quotes there, everywhere, especially here in the States, you know, let's face it. A lot of those innovation centers are simple. They're just sales showcases. There's no innovation going on there. And Greg, you mentioned, you know, point A where we're official members now. Uh, so big, big shout out to our, our friends at point A, they get it right. And we wouldn't be members unless uh, they, we knew they get it right. It's about bold new direction. It's about action. And most importantly, it's about results. And that's what defi- that's what should define innovation. Innovation has become one of those buzzwords like lean and and plenty of others that are out there. 
that's meaningless. It's like an air sandwich, you know, uh, when it's done right. Did you say air sandwich? Yeah. Air sandwich. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Uh, and our audience, can't, our audience can't see us uh, where that, that might make sense. But innovation, <laughs> when done right, is about a bold new direction and, and most importantly, results. I completely agree. And before Greg takes us into the realm of startups, I just wanted to piggyback on a couple of things that you said, because I think one of the things that you said that's super important that I think people really need to resonate with is that your idea of who you are or who the company is, is not relevant anymore. The customer and the public are going to define that for you. And that's what you mentioned in the Domino's um, example as you you sort of move forward with it because they identified next gen, who they are, what right. they want from us, what does that look like, and they put it into action. I think too much traditionally we have as people, as organizations, as we get into, you know, thought leadership and, and influencers and all that kind of stuff, we have an idea of what we think the public thinks of us. And I think all too often we get it wrong because we're not talking to the people and we're not finding out exactly what they're thinking and what the public thinks. And so there's a really big transition, I think, in this innovative mindset of getting out of who we think we are and getting into what the public, what the customer thinks we are and, the customer? and molding into it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. This, and this is not a, this is not a, a, a relevatory moment here. This is not a, anything new. It's getting back to the roots of what drives successful businesses and voice. And customer. letting go. Right. Letting right. go. Past, Just performance. <laughs> Past performance is no indication of future results. That's right. You know, you hear that whenever somebody whenever somebody pitches you uh, from a from a stock standpoint, right? They have to actually have to put that on a disclaimer on there, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's true more true now than it ever was, and it, it's true not just with companies but in supply chain. I mean, we've seen a transition in. I mean, if you think about, we haven't been forecasting in supply chain. We've been what I call postcasting. Right. We take the past and we alter it a little bit with these really amazing calculations. And then we think that's what the future is going to look like. But the truth is that what the future is going to look like is what decisions and actions consumers make in the future and what influences them to make those. We need to measure those things that are influencing people today or will influence them in the future, not a random set of data that is all clumped together and we regardless of how advanced the algorithm may be, it's simply an average. Well, and right? one there, there is no room for average anymore in, in this society. Well, and let's be honest. One is simpler and one is a lot harder. Well, right? and, yeah. And the truth is the reason that we settled for it and it, and it actually became the norm and we fell for it, you know, as best practice. I hate that term. Um, but we fell for the method of forecasting that we've used for over 120 years. You think the 80s were a long time ago, Sarah. Some of the forecasting, virtually the foundation of virtually all the forecasting techniques we use in supply chain are at least 100 years old. So, and the reason that we fell for that and it got ingrained as, as best practice is because the data 
was not available to do any better. And then having lost sight of that, we began to believe that this was as good as we can do. But the truth is the data now is more available and we can do better. So that's just one example, right? We need to really rethink. We need to recognize, again, past performance is no indication of future result and look at what is influencing people to make decisions and take actions today and yeah. use that to guide us. So that's just one example, which goes right to the foundation of supply chain. But uh, again, right. you know, as we think about the the startup mentality, look, um, this is going to sound insane. And particularly because I come from the Midwest of the United States, I was inspired to become an entrepreneur by a, a teacher, uh, a professor um, in in my introduction to entrepreneurship class at Wichita State University, by the way, the first university in the world to have an entrepreneurship degree, um, innovative in and of itself. The first, also the first university in the world to register their register a trademark. Go shocks! Cool. Um, but you know, and and in Wichita, Kansas, of all places, would you think of that? Not really, but it happened. And the statement that was made by my professor was. This was opening day, the very first thing when he walked into class and he said, I have failed more businesses than all of you cumulatively will ever start. Who is the professor? You got to give his or her name. I wish I could remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had started he had started a chain called Pop and Go Video, which was the precursor of, uh, Blockbuster. of Blockbuster. Yeah, nice. And, um, and a number of other companies, which he named too many to, to, um, account. I'll have to go back and look, but anyway, it wasn't, it, that was honestly the, one of the few moments that I can recall from that class. And somehow, even in a part of the country where you're encouraged not to, not to want too much, not to, tr not to desire too much because you might fail and your hopes be dashed. Right, which is a classically Scandinavian and, and German approach, which is where a lot of the people in the Midwest come from, Eastern Europe and that sort of thing. Um, and if you've traveled the world, you've, you've probably seen that as well in those other parts of the world in some measure. Um, but even considering that, that one statement is what made me risk it all every single time I got into a startup or business startup situation. And I've been doing that basically since college. So I've seen a lot of things. And, um, you know, what really stands out when you think about startup mentality is you've got to risk it all. You've got to have the guts to risk mm -hmm. it all. Right. I mean, Sarah, you've done it, Scott, you've done it. Um, and companies, even, even though it may be just a small segment of their business, companies that want to really improve have to at least in that segment of the business be willing to risk it all. So, so then, what do you what do you think um, holds in the future for supply chain startups? Like, what what does that look like? Because I know, you know, we've had a lot of emergence of it. We've had a lot of yeah. funding of it. Um, we've seen some very large dollars be poured into the industry, and you know, it's still an industry where there's a lot of attention from investors. So, but what do you think? What do you think the future holds for supply uh, chain? I, think, I mean, I think the present holds a lot of promise for supply chain, and the future is very very um, 
powerful for supply chain startups and supply chain been there's whatever you want to call it supply existing supply chain companies look i mean in in the last month and a half four companies that i work with have either gotten funding or received a whole lot of interest ships right sarah your company mm -hmm. the list of people that are interested in doing business with that company is substantial and you haven't even asked for any money yet yeah. Harrison um, just closed funding. Funding Flourish yeah. just closed funding, and just um, just this in the past week or so, Locator X closed funding. And those are those are real startup rounds. Companies that are already established are still getting hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. Yeah, um, because people see what the potential is in supply chain, and now. They see what the proximate need is and they see supply chain in the forefront of not just the industry's mind, but in consumers and government's mind. And that's when you know it's universal. You know, we've talked a lot about this this week. When you can sit around the dinner table whenever, even if it's virtually as it is, and your cousins and your aunts and uncles and your, even your children know what supply chain means, you know, something has changed, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the future is very bright for startups and, and even established companies in supply chain. If, and this is a big, if, if they can recognize that again, past performance is no indication of future results, even companies that exist in supply chain, even companies that are starting in supply chain, they have to think about the world as it is to be, not as it has been. And yeah. they, have to, they have to strive to approach their, the marketplace and develop their solution with what I call the blessing of naivete. As think, of how, think of a way to solve it as if you didn't know how it had been solved before. And if you can combine the knowledge that we all three have here in supply chain and that blessing of naivete of forgetting how it's been solved in the past and thinking about how it should be solved in the future, you will be very, very successful. The it's door a great, is wide open. Yeah, it's a great point. And you and I were just talking about it last week. And it kind of goes to my point where I've, I've realized that my perception of things <laughs> versus some of some of the people that we're approaching and talking to have a right. perception of. I mean, so you got to be proud. You know I was listening. <laughs> yeah, we had one of those dreaded advisory moments, right? Scott and I have those as well. They're kind of a they're kind of a slap in the face, but it but it it does you know it, it it is required to have somebody to bounce your ideas off of and have them go love this part of it. You know this this you this is a challenge for you, and this is something you need to change. Yeah, um, and and Especially companies that threaded pitch deck. Let me tell you, I mean, the amount of times I have changed that thing. Yes, and I'm still going to change it, and that is okay, and that's something that I have come to terms with, and is my piece <laughs> as I change the slides all the time. So Scott, because I know we were talking about like enterprise and startups and startup mentality. You mentioned point A, we talked about the collaboration between the two. Why do you think that that's so important? I mean, I love that word. Everybody yeah. knows I love that word. I talk about the word all the time, <laughs> but why is collaboration super important to, you know, moving forward in innovation? So I think that companies that collaborate successfully 
uh, and innovate successfully are those that are absolutely willing to get outside of the four walls, right? Uh, raise your hand if you've worked for a company that kept everything in the headlock. I know I have, right? And those were organizations that still struggle today. Um, not, yeah. not naming any names. Or but, they're not around. Or they're not around. Right. Even worse. That's right. Um, so I believe it's the 2019, it was last year's Gartner Supply Chain Top 25, that identified that one of the best practices, one of the key takeaways that was fueling success across sectors, uh, or I'm sorry, across supply chain, was companies that were collaborating across sectors, public, private, educational, incubators, you name it, and engaging each other. And, and you know, I think that is – uh, that is so key in 2020, uh, more than ever before, arguably more than ever before. But it's got to start with a willingness at, at the top levels because they, they got to set yeah. the standard, that willingness to get out of your comfort zone and accept the fact that often is in play that, that we don't have all the answers internally and, and certainly not all the, all the new solutions, even to old problems or these new problems, you know, um, Companies that innovate successfully acknowledge and embrace that, and almost they almost um, uh, revel in that. Really, I mean that that it really uh, I've seen it. You know, yeah. um, well, I and think- bring bring down the barriers. Sorry, before you go there, bring yeah, yeah. down the barriers for startups. Right. I mean, for startups to get together and collaborate with an enterprise, I mean, it just doesn't happen. Yep. It's got to be the enterprise that are that are bringing down those barriers, allowing those startups in and embracing it. It can't be hard for a startup to be able to work with an enterprise. If it's too hard, it's not worth the time. Well, that's a great point. That's a big point that, that hopefully that's one of the key takeaways I think our audience should get out of this conversation uh, because it's not easy for these large enterprises to work with startups. I mean, think of think of how the, the prevailing disposition and the cultures between, you know, something small, five, maybe five team members and a large global enterprise. Naturally, they're in two different worlds. Um, but despite that, we are seeing to to points you both have made we're seeing a lot more collaboration intentional collaboration uh uh enterprises that are willing to accept the risk that comes with working and getting key supplies and and key ideas and key solutions from startups it's 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 inarguable um but they've got to learn how to effectively engage and work you know uh greg it's interesting i stole this quote from a inc magazine article earlier david kidder CEO of Bionic or Greg White, uh, trusted advisor with Supply Chain Now. It's either disrupt or be disrupted. And that sounds like uh, T-shirt material. It sounds like poster material. But unfortunately, it's really, really accurate in today's environment. But they got to be taught how. But more and more iconic brands that seemingly have all the answers are not just leaning into working with startups, but they're setting up uh, programs to lure startups to them so that they can work more and more um, yeah. uh, financial incentives and, and, and funding and whatnot. Uh, Johnson and Johnson's doing a lot of stuff in this space, Georgia Pacific, Nike, the Coca-Cola company, Microsoft. And we could be here for days mentioning the real action based uh, approaches that these large successful, you know, varying degrees of success, right? But still they're very intentional of, finding ways for startups to come in and, and work with their teams. 
Well, and I think it's important to note too, from a media standpoint, also being able to um, support them in some of the things that we do, right? I know with COVID, they startups have really had kind of a raw deal because, you know, there hasn't been any conferences or in-person conferences happening where startups have been highlighted or getting it, being able to get in front of investors and things like that. So I think we also play a role in media. I know that on Let's Talk Supply Chain, you know, we feature businesses and we feature startups and we let them, we, we, talk to them about who they are and what they do and examples of how they've helped companies because, you know, we, we need to get it out there as to who they are and what they do and what it means to companies, what it means to businesses, what it means to professionals in their day-to-day lives. And so if anybody's looking for startups, go to the podcast under letstalksupplychain.com. I've categorized them. So if you're looking for tech, if you're looking for warehousing, if you're looking for whatever you're looking for, they're categorized, go and check out these companies because I think it's super important. And we've got a supply chain conference uh, coming up that I'm doing a one-day virtual conference conference and we're doing a startup showcase. You know, there's nine really amazing startups that are coming to present for five minutes each in a 45 minute segment in the afternoon. And when I signed on to do this one day virtual conference, that was that was something I was like, this is a non-negotiable. We need to be able to promote startups and give them their opportunity. I mean, I know as a startup um, not only for Let's Talk Supply Chain, but Ships or Ship Z, whatever anyone wants to call it. <laughs> the public might have spoken on that one. <laughs> um, and being a female founder, you know, I mean, that that plays a role in it too. I don't want it to play a role, but it, it, it does in different fashions. And it's been an interesting time. I mean, it's it's taken a long time to get to the point that we're at. I never thought it would take this long. <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought that investment might come a little bit easier than it has, and it really hasn't. Um, but I've learned a ton. Like, it's been an amazing couple of years. I wouldn't change it for anything. And I'm super excited for what we're doing right now and moving into the future. Um, but, you know, so that's just a little bit of a take from my standpoint point of being an entrepreneur, but it's, you know, it's, it's a crazy ride and we definitely need to make sure that we support them. Like riding a tiger. That's right. That's right. Okay. So one final thing, we're going to do this real quick because we've got, we've got some takeaways we want to get to at the end. But when we were strategizing for this series and talking about the super trend, Greg was talking about how um, re-emergence of tech, like RFID, right, has sort of come back to the surface. I know we've got a mutual friend, Andrew Johnson of Shelf Aware. He's brought that RFID tech back. You know, he's doing amazing things in inventory and replenishment. And yeah. so yeah, um, I'm still waiting for my hat, Andrew, by the way. I'm still waiting for my swag. I haven't been asked for my address. I'm just saying. But anyways... Yeah. <laughs> Um, so real quickly, Greg, do you want to just um, maybe throw out some some thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think there, you know, there has been a reemergence and a reuse of certain technologies. I mean, we talked to a company in Vegas, Scott, help me, but they they have uh, barcodes that have um, and QR codes that have additional metadata attached to them. Um. Don't be a non-entity was what the founder's mother told him, right? Didn't Malcolm look up that? 
Um, and and uh, just yesterday, we talked with a company. Well, by the time this airs, it will have been a while ago. But we talked with a company called Locator X. Um, and they are using a combination of unbelievably new technology and already well-established technology, a combination of QR codes and barcodes and atomic clocks to identify the location of goods. And I mean, there's story after story of that. Information. Uh, Bruce Brown. Information. That's right. Don't be a non-entity is what his mother told him long, long time ago and always stuck between his ears. Great interview too, by the way. Um, uh, from the uh, RLA, right from the Reverse Logistics Association show in Vegas back in February, which seems like a year ago now, by the way. So long ago. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think we see a ton of reemergence of tech um, and and a ton of repurposing of, of this technology, right? Yeah. Some of it has be- finally become cost effective and that's why why we can use it um you know well, um, 3d printers right we've been talking about 3d printers for a long time but covid has kind of brought them also to the forefront as we plan for inventory right do we want finished goods that cost us a lot of money to hang on to in our in our warehouses or do we want more raw material and is the consumer going to dictate that right with customization as we move forward the consumer and the next generation are looking for more and more customization it's not necessarily an old technology it's been around for a while but the costs of being able to do business that way have definitely gone down so you know i think it's i think it's a really good point so now we're going to end off with a couple of takeaways. Hey, I'm going to throw one it. quick thing, one yeah. quick thing, because mm-hmm. what, y'all are, what y'all are both talking about is not necessarily, uh, it's not new technology. It's, it's different applications. And I think that's where startups are Good really point. coming in blockchain. Yeah. I don't, you know, we can't have any, any conversation legally without mentioning blockchain, right? right? It's federal, <laughs> federal regulations out here in the U S but, but you know, blockchain came out in the early nineties. It's the new mm-hmm. application of it and, and some other stuff, but new application of it that is that is is going to be transformational. So I think that's a key point. It's not all about new technologies and, and the, 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 the shiniest new objects. It's about different ways, different perspectives of how we can apply them and solve problems. Absolutely. Absolutely key. All right. So let's get to the takeaways. What are the two takeaways that you think that the audience um, the enterprise community or even the startup community should take away from this conversation. Scott, we'll start with you. Yeah. So real quick, uh, Malcolm also got back. The Columbia disaster was 2003 and there were seven astronauts, not 2008. So I got that wrong. Um, so I only got three. I've got two, let's see, uh, reverse mentoring. You know, mentoring is big. I think you can apply mentoring and reverse mentoring to enterprises, but so that's the best practice, something that, that definitely we want them to take away. But secondly, you know, having confidence is healthy. you got to have it. But you've got to be humble enough. These enterprises have to be humble enough to learn new things. And you gotta, you got to take a page out of Fred Rogers' book, who delighted in learning something new, several things new every day. And despite his success and everyone, everyone in the world knew him, if you watch his latest, I mean, he, he was humble enough and really practice that humility to learn something new from, from, from children, which I find just uh, really fascinating. And then Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers. That's right. And then uh, for entrepreneurs, I think all of us can relate to this is we got to be patient. You know, everyone, you know, I'm, 
and when I'm thinking of my own faults here, I, patience is not one of my strengths, and I like to make decisions quickly. I don't like to dwell in in long cycles of inaction, and 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 I'm not patient when when decisions take a long time, even though when I believe I know the right one. So I think as entrepreneurs that are looking to work more and more with enterprises and, and larger organizations, we've got to be willing to be patient and, and be somewhat acceptive of how they do business, you know, so seek you awesome. first to understand, right? Um, before Greg, Scott, who is Malcolm? Because you've brought him up a couple of times, and I don't know where he sits, but he seems to get back to you really quickly. Yes. And I almost feel like he's somebody on your shoulder. Like, who is this person? Is he, it a person? He leads our research team here at Supply Chain Now. He's been ah, with us okay. for quite Thank some you. time. Yeah. Thank you. I need in a fact, Malcolm. In fact, his mother uh, and father named him after uh, the same Malcolm that standardized ocean shipping back in the 50s. Ooh, yeah. that is a great, wow, that's a, that's a great story. Is that what it was? Malcolm McLean. What was that, Greg? Who standardized uh, container sizes. That's right. That's right. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, Greg, real quick, two takeaways. Two takeaways. One, um, and this is this is, in my opinion, the most important for startups, and that is passion is not enough. Absolute, complete, and unwavering obsession is absolutely required Huge. to be successful as a startup. And don't try to kid yourself or convince yourself that you have that obsession. You will know if you would rather, would you rather, it's a whole game, you know, <laughs> would you rather, whether you do or you don't, right, would you rather go to your kid's ball game or would you rather advance your, your <laughs> company? I'm not saying you have to do it that way, but if in your heart you know you are you feel like you are missing out on on something you could deliver to the world, your family, your investors, yourself, whatever, if deep in your heart you're willing to admit that, even if you take the other action and you do go to your kids ball game, obsession is what is absolutely required to be successful and don't ever confuse it with passion. I'm very passionate about golf, but I'm smart enough not to make my vacation my vocation and try to have a golf business. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, thank you. Um, and after that diatribe, I need, I need a second to gather myself and th yeah, thank you to, to think <laughs> about um, what the other is. No, but you know, the other is really if um, what I said before, you have to be willing to, and you have to embrace risking it all. You are, you are not an entrepreneur because you put your time into something. Lots of people put time into things. You are an entrepreneur because you risked it all. And never, ever forget that when you're talking to investors or employees or business partners or, or um, suppliers, right, or even customers, never, ever forget that the reason that you deserve to own and the reason that you deserve to benefit and the reason you deserve to get the valuation out of your company is because you are the one who risked it all. Um, you will have this conversation, likely have it with an ungrateful sales a vice president, as I have a number of times, where they say, but I took a risk and I left here 
And I, I came to this company and I, I accepted only $180,000 a year plus commission salary, right? That's the sacrifice I made. You can always say, I not only sacrificed that $180,000 a year salary, but I sacrificed my children's college fund and my, my home and my car. And, and I worked for years for virtually nothing. Never, ever forget that. But always, if you are really an entrepreneur, willingly make that risk. Great, great advice. So I actually have three. Uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> um, how, how often is it the one that I'm? How often is it that I'm the one who only has two? Check that out. <laughs> no. So on t- uh, enterprise companies, if you want to be innovative and uh, work with startups, make it easy. Bring those down those barriers and make it easier for for them to and make it so that they want to work with you too. Number two, customer defines who you are as a brand and what that looks like, what your innovation should be looking like um, in, you know, tackling that. Who is your customer? What do they want? What are they looking for? Maybe it's not a rebrand. Maybe it's not a new name. Maybe it's not new colors. Maybe it's actually the action that you're taking within your company. And lastly, I have learned this over and over and over as a startup founder and entrepreneur. Everything happens for a reason. Remember that. There's a reason why things take longer than they do, that they happen faster than they do. And I'm a true, true believer in that. So it's not just about branding. It's about making a change for the better and showing it through action, both internally and externally. For startups, there is a lot of opportunity, but move into the community with a collaborative mindset and you will always come out on top. Make sure to connect with Scott Luton and Greg White on LinkedIn or Twitter, as well as Supply Chain Now on both platforms or at their website. For more information about this episode, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash episode 119 or wherever you listen and subscribe to podcasts. Thank you, Scott, Greg, and the Supply Chain Now team for making this episode possible. And I can't wait to see everyone on Twitter. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you like this episode and are joining us for our wrap party on Twitter, June 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern, then make sure to listen to the other episodes in our Super Trends series. You can find episode 111 on Let's Talk Supply Chain at letstalksupplychain.com under podcasts. You can also find episode 307 and episode 355, which is Super Trend 1 and 3, over on the supplychainnowradio.com website. Next week, I am joined by Jason, the founder of McGregor Partners, and we talk about tech in supply chain and how they are helping companies 
everywhere. You're not going to want to miss this as Jason has a lot of really, really great stories to tell. And I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, the SC Supply Chain TV. And subscribe to our newsletter, and you can find that over at letstalksupplychain.com. Next, ships.com, that's S-H-I-P-Z.com. This is the tech platform that I have been working on, and uh, we are coming out with the beta very, very soon. So go visit and sign up. If you're a mid-market shipper, just looking to make ship- shipping a lot easier for you, especially on the international side, ocean freight, air freight, do go and sign up. This is going to change the game for you. Plus, any freight forwarders looking to um, check out this new marketplace and somewhere where you can be active and, um, you know, really help mid-market shippers move their air and ocean freight, please go and sign up. Check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be really, really innovative and changing the game in international logistics. Next, go to letstalksupplychain.com. We have some merch and the supply chain dictionary under the shop button. Go and check it out. If you've got, um, you know, somebody in your life that loves logistics, procurement, supply chain, we've got all sorts of amazing stuff for them in your life. So go and check that. That's shop under letstalksupplychain.com. Last but not least, go and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and you will be featured on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.